You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series, Hope Resurrected, a journey through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is 1st Thessalonians 1, 1 through 10. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living one and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who deliver us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I said, he is risen. He is risen. Amen. We're going to bring that same energy every week. Amen. Because he is risen indeed. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, so to speak, because we have a risen Savior. Uh, For those of you who are first-time guests, uh, how are you doing? My name is Jamal. I'm one of the pastors here. We pray that a song will be sung, a word spoken that will enrich your life in Christ Jesus. Uh, We are glad that you are here, and um, we pray that today's service will impact you. Um, Also, um, I just want to say Amber and I and our family are just humbled and thankful for an opportunity to take a break uh, this summer. We love our church. uh, We love our city, and we're excited to break and to rest, to come back um, ready and renewed um, for the next seven years. The story is told of a man who went to buy his grandson a, a birthday present. And he was pretty nervous because his wife uh, said, this year, it's all on you. I'm not going to help you. You go and buy it. And so he wanted to get something special for him. He wanted it to be unique. And he goes uh, to a toy store um, a little far away from his house so that um, hopefully his grandson can find something that other kids won't be playing with. He steps into the toy store and he waves down a young lady, and he tells her the scenario and the situation, and he says, I can't get this wrong. I need a great toy for my grandson. She takes him to an aisle where there's cars and trucks, and he looks around, and he finds this big red truck, and this truck is is beautiful. He thinks that it will outlast his preschooler and that his grandson will think he's the greatest granddad ever. And at that moment, he looks at the young lady and he says, where can I get the batteries from? And she looks at him and she touches the top of the red truck and it begins to make all kinds of noises. And she says, the batteries are included. The batteries are included. He leaves the store. He takes it to his grandson and his grandson loves it. 
and is able to play with it right away. As we start this new series through 1 Thessalonians, um, we're going to be talking about a, a lot of great things as Paul is writing to a church that he is so proud of because they are embodying the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's writing his letter during a time where he's in Corinth and he is being persecuted. But the thing I want you to hear and I want you to see as we travel through this book is that if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, that God is not inviting us as we live out this epistle uh, to should on ourselves. And y'all know what I'm talking about, right? We, we're not called to uh, should on ourselves. I should, I should, I should. But rather to look to Jesus in the power of the gospel and his Holy Spirit um, to empower us to live out the principles that we're going to learn all summer long from this book. And one of the things I want you to remember is, is that the batteries, metaphorically speaking, are included. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have everything you need in Christ through the Holy Spirit for life and godliness. The church at Thessalonica is an exemplary church not because they are uh, strong enough themselves, but it's because they believed that they were empowered supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, and they simply lived out the gospel through His power. In fact, in today's text, we're going to see that this is a theme. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit. And then he's going to say the same thing in verse 6. You welcome the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. And that is my prayer as we travel through First and Second Thessalonians from now to mid-August, is that we would know that we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, that we will receive the word with joy from the Holy Spirit, and that hope would be res resurrected in our hearts. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we start this new series, we pray that we will be reminded that, uh, yeah, batteries are included in the person and work of the Spirit. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is not an object or an energy per se, but a, a person, third person of the Trinity. And Holy Spirit, we ask for you to take this word, soften our hearts, allow the gospel to be deeply rooted in us so that we can live to your glory. So excited to go through this book, and I pray that you would make much of Jesus. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So as we start this new series, Hope Resurrected, I want you uh, to understand that there's a, a couple deep burdens that we have uh, for this book. Uh, the first is that we would honestly learn to live in light of Christ's resurrection and his return. As Christians, we are called to, to keep the resurrection of Jesus in front of us, as well as to live with tiptoe anticipation of him coming again. And I believe that hope is what we need in a world that is often hostile and hopeless. And so we're going to look at a book that is filled with hope. Uh, First Thessalonians um, uses the word hope uh, about five times, but the principle of hope is lived throughout. In fact, both First and Second Thessalonians uh, close with a picture of Christ's second coming. 
Uh, my second burden for us and hope is that we as a church would experience the grace, peace, love, and joy of Jesus regularly. And that we would learn to expect to live with his joy, to live with his peace, and to live with his grace. I've just been struck over and over by how personable this letter is to this church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul says this. And listen to this. I'm going to read it twice because I want us to get this. He says, for who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. That is powerful. This is written by a man who is on mission. And when he writes this and go home and read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it's likely that he was in Corinth. uh, I'm sorry, Acts uh, chapter 18. It's like he, he is in Corinth suffering and preaching the gospel, laboring hard, reflecting on his time in Thessalonica. And this is what he had to say about this church that was birthed there through his labor. For who is our hope, our joy, our crown, and our boasting? He says, when Jesus returns, he says, we will be able to, I will be able to stand before Jesus filled with joy, knowing that when, when I preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit did something with it in your lives. And this gives me hope even as I suffer. And my burden and my hope is that we, as the people of God, as a covenant community called Sojourn Church, that we will be able to say this about each other, that you will be able to say this about your pastors, your pastors will be able to say this about you, you will be able to say this about your community group leaders, your community group leaders will be able to say this about you, that when you step through these doors on Sunday morning, there is a, a humble confidence and joy that you are amongst the people of God and these people give you hope. These people give you joy. These people, metaphorically speaking, are, are going to be your, your crown of boasting before God that I got to see the gospel embodied and lived out in my lifetime amongst the people that I went to church with in the city of Louisville. And that's a burden. And I believe that this book is going to help us to do that. And so as we go through uh, today's passage, I just want to kind of set the stage real quick um, and tell you some some things about uh, Thessalonica and about how this church was birthed. You can read this in Acts uh, chapter 17, specifically looking at verses uh, 1 through 10. and you'll find in Acts 17, 1 through 10, that Paul uh, goes to a city uh, named Thessalonica. It was the second largest city in Greece, and it was named after Alexander the Great, a half-sister of Thessaloniki. And he named the city after her. It became the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia in northern Greece. We have a, I believe we have a map up here uh, to show you uh, where it is, and you can kind of find it right here in the middle of the screen. Um, and, And Thessalonica was a metropolitan area. It was an urban area where there was a, a lot of life, um, and it was, would be very similar to a, a city like Louisville or uh, even a coastal city where there is a lot of commerce. It was a free city with an independent government, and it was the center of the Roman imperial cult. 
It was also a site of many temples. It was known um, for being a place that was dedicated to thousands of of idols. Uh, Throughout the series, you'll hear me uh, talk about it as Big Thess or Thess. I'm not going to say Thessalonians every time I say it, but Thess uh, was a, a popping city that you wanted to be at. Paul goes there after being persecuted in Philippi. He preaches the gospel and he's uh, there in a synagogue on three Sabbaths, and the gospel just explodes there. It takes off, and, and people want to know more about Jesus. Uh, so much so, though, that the uh, uh, many Jews who are there, uh, they get mad at both Jews and Gentiles who are hearing the gospel. They find out what Paul is saying. He's staying with a person named Jason, and they uh, persecute Jason. And they find uh, Paul and others, and they flog them. Uh, give them a public spanking. Uh, Paul ends up leaving the city um, in a hurry uh, because of the persecution that others were facing on his behalf. And essentially, he's writing this letter um, sometime later. He sends Timothy, we read in uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, back to uh, Thess uh, to see how the church is doing, expecting that because of the persecution, the movement has died out. And Timothy's like, the opposite has happened. The church is exploding, and they are actually doing exactly what you did, and they are embracing suffering, and they believe Jesus is resurrected. And the only thing that I see here that we may need to bring clarity to is what's going to happen when he returns. So when you read this book this week, you're going to go and you'll read the end, and you'll be like, man, Paul goes in on the second coming of Jesus, and that's why, because there's all kind of rumors happening about the return of Christ. But look at your Bibles real quick. And I want you to look at uh, verse 8. And actually, I don't want you to look at it real quick. I want you to stare at it. We don't look at the Bible quickly, Pastor Jamal. We meditate on it. Amen. Verse 8. It says, For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. And this word rang out is a word that was commonly used uh, to speak of someone blowing a trumpet as loud as they could. He's saying, this is what the gospel has done in you. This is what the word is doing in you. It is just ringing out. And he says, man, now everywhere that we are going, um, people in this area is talking about what God is doing in your city. And so as we dive into this text, and this is going to be a very simple sermon, I just want to slowly walk through these 12 uh, verses and then give you a a couple things um, that I feel the Lord is impressing upon my heart for us today. But as we walk through this text, I just want to ask you the question, like, what will you be known for? What do you want to be known for? And if you were to slow down and look at the way that you've lived your life in the last month, if someone had to say, this is what this person is about, what would they say? As a church, what will we be known for in this city? When people think about members of Sojourn Midtown, what will they think about? What will they say? And my burden and my hope for us as a church, as they would say that we are a people who show up in life and who speak up 
for Jesus. We embody the gospel by showing up fully and alive in the spirit with joy, with peace, with hope, and that we speak up for Jesus. That's my call for you today is to be empowered by the gospel in a way that allows you to show up in life and speak up in the spirit. May we be a people who the word of God rings out and where people all around see us and they have, a, have hope as a result of our hope. First one, Paul and Salvinus and Timothy, uh, just a basic greeting. He says, to the church of Thessalonians, notice this, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. It's a, a basic greeting, but he addresses the church that is in this city, in Thess. But he says, you're, you're in Thess, but you're also in Christ. Like your eye is in your socket, Christian, you are in Christ, but even more so because your eye can be removed from your socket. But those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will never be removed from Jesus. Jesus said, you will never be plucked out of my hands. True saving faith is a faith that is going to bear fruit and persevere to the end. And even today, even as we are in Louisville, Kentucky, we are in Christ Jesus and in God the Father. And then in verse 2, he says, we always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. If you read the book of 1 Thessalonians, it reads a a little uh, different than most other um, epistles in that uh, Paul normally starts off in his greeting by giving thanks to the church. Even churches that's like straight up wilding out. Think about 1 Corinthians, the first nine verses. He's like, grace to you. I see how you're doing this. I see your spiritual gifts. Y'all are so great. And then in verse 10, he's like, all right, let me cut to the chase. And for the next 14 verses, Paul is going, 14 chapter, he goes in. But here in the book of 1 Thessalonians, if you read it slowly, if you understand the way the book is written, it's really just thanksgiving all the way up to chapter 3 and verse 13. It feels like every time he's trying to like encourage them or spur them on and give them correction, he just ends up praising God for them. He just ends up praising God for them. And that is a gift. I often uh, tell people that I've been blessed to, to pastor two churches that I'm just thankful for. My first church at Forest Baptist Church was a, a beautiful church. Amber and I, we are just pleased to be able to pastor a church like Forest. And we can say the same thing about this church. We are thankful. We are thankful because this church is seeking to embody the gospel. Paul was thankful for the church at Thess. And he says, you are constantly in our prayers. And I believe that the reason that they bore fruit, as we'll see in this letter, is because Paul and Timothy and Salvanus and others were constantly praying for them. And they were constantly praying for Paul and constantly praying for each other. And if you are going to bear fruit in your life, you need someone who's going to be committed to praying for you. Do you have that? And if you want people in your community group, in your youth group, on the worship team to bear fruit, you too must be committed to consistently praying for those that you do life with. That's one theologian says, nothing happens but by prayer. 
Pray for your roommates. Pray for your friends. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your husband and your wife. Pray for your children. Don't just think about them. Constantly pray for them. Cultivate intimacy with Jesus and with the Father to the point that instead of running to our phones or running to our tablets when we're bored or we don't know what to do, what does it look like to pause and to pray? Our prayers matter. Verse 4. Verse three, he says, we recall in the presence of God, of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. They are embodying the gospel. They are showing up in life and speaking up for Jesus. And what does embodying the gospel looks like? Paul goes back to three virtues that he repeats Um, in his epistles, and these are the three fundamental virtues of a Christian. Faith, love, and hope. What do we want to be known for in this city? Is it our beautiful cathedral, which is beautiful? Is it the fact that sojourners are, are swagged out in their own unique ways? Nope. Is it because we create music and sing great songs? That's beautiful, but nope. What do we want to be known for? We want to be known for our faith. We must be known for our love. And we want to be known for hope, faith. Faith is what our our faith hinges on. It's what that that door of salvation opens on, the hinges of, of faith and grace. Faith is simply trusting in God. It is an attitude that says, for all, F-A-I-T-H, I I trust him. It is what we are, are saved by, but it's also what we're sanctified by. Paul says that without faith, it is, uh, Hebrews said it's without faith, it is impossible to please God. We don't just have faith to uh, accept the gospel and to receive the gospel. We must walk by faith. That's what Paul says. You walk by faith, not by sight. Every day in our lives must be lived by faith and trust. But he says, in love, love is not just a a noun, it's a verb. When the Bible speaks of love in 1 Corinthians 13, it it is patient, it is kind, it is long-suffering, it does not boast, it does not envy, it believes all things. Listen, it hopes all things. And Paul says, at the end of the day, um, love is the greatest of all these virtues. Why? Because when we're in heaven, faith will no longer be needed. Because we will see Jesus Christ, who is the object of our faith. And hope will no longer be needed. Hope is faith standing on its tippy toes. It means living with expectation. Because what we hope for will be realized. But love, love is a commitment to treat other people how Jesus treats us. To embody Jesus' perspective towards humanity, to draw towards them in that way.
He says, you embody love. You embody this hope. And where did their hope come from? You'll see in his letter, it's a hope that Jesus Christ is going to return and that the people of God will be rescued from wrath. From wrath. And this is what the church at Thessalonica is is living in light of and embracing. And notice that this, these virtues actually have teeth to them. They actually show up in people's lives. It's not just them talking about having faith, talking about having love, talking about hope, having hope. It is coupled with evidence. Look at this, your work produced by faith. Faith without works is dead, James tells us. You can say you have faith, but if there's not fruit It's not saving faith. He goes on to say, your labor motivated by love. Love leads you to labor. And we'll tease this out later in a book. I think the labor that it leads you to tease out is treating other people how Jesus treats us. And we labor in that. That's not easy to do. This supernatural love, because we are indwell with the Holy Spirit, isn't just towards those people who are easy to love. It's Matthew chapter 6. It's walking with Jesus and allowing him to form us in such a way that uh, we actually love our enemies. We love those who despitefully use us. We love those who aren't in our political affiliations. We love those who don't dress like us or talk like us or who aren't in our, the same class as us. And then he talks about hope and what it produces. And what does it produce? Endurance. How do you know if a person has gospel hope? It's because they are learning to endure stuff. We talked about last week, they're learning to be steadfast. And this isn't something that happens all at once. Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, this is something that we learn to do. We learn to be content. We learn to endure. We learn to have joy in our suffering. And God, through our suffering, chisels us and and takes us, 1 Peter, through that refiner's fire so that our faith will become more pure like gold. What do you want to be known for? I want to submit to you that there is nothing better in a Christian life to be known for than faith, love, and hope. And here's the good news. The way that we grow in faith, love, and hope is not by making a list of things and categorizing it in 13 different ways. It's by simply abiding in Jesus Christ. As we abide in the true vine, we soak in all of those nutrients. (laughs) We are, are pruned by the Father. We begin to look like Jesus and we become people of faith, people of love, people of hope. And this is something that happens over and over throughout our lifetime. So as we're growing older, we don't become a more grouchy, self-centered, self-consumed people. We actually become a more beautiful people, a more true people, a more good people. Because we're growing to look more and more like Jesus. Verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, let's look at this. How how has this come? Paul is looking from the outside in, and he's like, why can I just give you all this great compliment, even though you're young Christians and you're a young church? For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, 
that he has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance, you know how we lived among you for your benefit. He says, how do we know this? He says, because you, man, you are chosen. You are chosen. You are God's elect. Now, when Paul talks about election, he doesn't do what a lot of people do and, and, and make it weird. Um, he's simply pointing out the fact that God, according to his grace and mercy, chose to save a people despite themselves for his eternal purposes. And he's saying, how do I know that God has chosen to save you and he set his affection on you in a salvific way? and he loved you in a very specific way, it's because when we preached to you, when I was in that synagogue and I was preaching Jesus and people were getting upset and we were beat and ran out of that city, the word didn't just come to you in a way that you intellectually understood to you. No, it came with power. It awakened your heart. Your affections changed. And your life became centered around Jesus. And he says, is this a result of you being better than everyone else who was in that same synagogue? Listen, no. It was through the Holy Spirit. We cannot respond to the gospel without the Holy Spirit softening our hearts. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. And because we are saved, we can't look down on other people who are not in Christ because we did not save ourselves. God came and he got us from the pit and he gave us life and the ability to respond to this good news. So it should humble us. They also imitate, and we're going to talk about this more in uh, the next chapter. In verse 6, you say, and you yourselves became imitators of this. They imitated, verse 5, how Paul and others lived among them. And we know to the church of Corinth, Paul says, imitate me, follow me as I follow Christ. And you yourselves became imitators of us and the Lord. In spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. And this is why Paul has so much joy. Because when Paul and other letters, specifically thinking about the church of Corinth, Paul would often have to convince the churches that he was in front of that he was a true apostle because they were constantly tempted to imitate other preachers who were coming around and saying, no, if you want to know what it means to be a preacher of the gospel, look at us. We're preaching the gospel and we're not suffering like Paul. But many of them weren't preaching a pure gospel. It was Jesus plus. It was Jesus plus circumcision. It was Jesus plus this. Paul's like, no, it's Christ and Christ alone. And as a result, wherever he went, there were uh, Jews who would follow him or a sect of Jews who would follow him and persecute him and make his life miserable. And in the church of Thessalonians, Paul is like, listen, you all imitated us to the point that you embraced suffering like us. You didn't water down the gospel and you embraced us. And this was the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, as a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord, it rang out from you 
Notice that the word of the Lord rang out from you. What do you want to be known as? What rings out from your life? Is it your hobbies? Is it your attempt for you to raise your children as art pieces? The Bible doesn't call us to raise them as art pieces, but arrows, Psalm 127. Is it your giftings? Is it your job? What rings out from your life? Now, God can use all of those things for his glory to ring out from your life. But at the end of the day, may it be said of us that what rings out from our life is that we embodied the word. We embodied Jesus, who is the Logos, who is the word. He said, has gone out. And a lot of times when we think about maybe our lives ringing out, we get this picture of like, maybe being Bible thumpers who we're at the coffee shop and someone compliments us and we like just drop a verse on them. Hey man, that's a really nice shirt. Where'd you get from it? Well, God cares more about our inside than our outside. Are you, do you know Jesus? It's like, dude, calm down. I just said, I like your shirt. Or someone's like, Hey, when's the last time you went and, uh, Last time you ate at a good restaurant, what restaurant was it? You know what? I don't, even, I don't even remember because the Bible tells me whatever I do to do it for the glory of God, whether I eat or drink, my will is to do the will of the Father. Do you know Jesus? And people are like, like, we have this picture of, of being a Christian that, and we think that that's what it means to ring out. And that's not what Paul has given us a picture of. Paul is going to tell us here in Thessalonica that he, he worked in the city of Thess. He was a, a tent maker with his own hands. People came to faith from him just doing his job. And even when we think about Jesus and, and the way he lived, the Bible says that, that lost people were around him and he was comfortable around them. In fact, so much that the Pharisees would come and they would rebuke him and say, who is this that hangs out with tax collectors and prostitutes? He's a drunkard. <laughs> he's, he's hanging out. He's having a good time. But he did that in a way uh, that pointed people to his father. And that's what God calls us to do. And that's what God is shaping us to be, a people who embodies Jesus and who begins to look Look like them. Women and children wanted to be around Jesus. And women and children in general, they don't want to be around people who are stiff and mean and self-centered. And this is what the gospel and the word actually forms us to be. And if you read the Bible in any other way and it makes you be a person who's just a stickler for things and constantly confrontational and always have an attitude and, and always upset about something, always on edge. I'm telling you, you are reading the Bible. Not only are you reading the Bible the wrong way, but it's a, a good chance that you are not truly abiding in Jesus. Abiding with Jesus is not about just becoming the most doctrinally sound person ever. So Paul confronts the church at Corinth from, he's like, y'all look like frogs. You got big heads and little bodies. <laughs> Embodying Jesus 
means that your life is, 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 is looking fully human. You're being conformed to the second Adam. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I'm sorry, he did not say that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, that in the last days after Jesus' ascension, that humanity will be marked by three things. The love of self, the love of money, and the love of pleasure. Listen to me. Narcissism, materialism, and hedonism. Come on, stay with me. And this is what the world is forming us into. I don't have time to go into that. But our world is forming us into being absolute narcissistic. I mean, people are at funerals with caskets, taking pictures and posting it and making it about themselves. Hedonists. Whatever makes you feel good, Nike, just do it. Just do it. Escape from all reality. Ignore the numbers, ignore the statistics, ignore the science, just do it. Live your truth, boo. Immaterialist. At the end of the day, it's about making money, 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 money. What Jesus is doing is he's forming a people who are absolutely beautiful, who know that the things of this world will rust away, who know that true life is not found in centering it on us, but in looking to Jesus who is King and Lord and making him the center of our lives, who understand that the pleasures of this world are temporal and they do not satisfy us, but that God has given us a new heart and he is reforming us to enjoy true pleasure as we learn to worship him in spirit and in truth. And I just believe that when we embrace this as a people, The people in our city, they're going to say, man, there's a peace about you that I need and I don't have. And this isn't a boast on myself, but but at all, because this is not me a lot of times. People in public catch me in good times. But one person recently at a coffee shop I go to was like, I just don't understand. You just always seem to have joy when you come in here. I'm thinking to myself, I'm not always in a good mood. I'm glad you see that. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Praise Jesus. But man, that's what Jesus, I pray, is forming us all into that even if we're not in a good mood, there's something that shines through us where we treat people as image bearers and are able to slow down and in moments and put the attention on them and be kind. And they say, there's just something different going on here. And this is what God is forming in us when we abide in Christ. Real quick, look at this. The ultimate way in which Paul knows that they received Jesus through the Holy Spirit is verse 9, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols 
to serve the living and the true God. And that's a simple statement, but we know that the gospel does deep work. And we talked about that last series. It goes underneath to those both surface idols and uh, those idols that's on the surface. It gets down to our motivations. And we're going to talk about that next week. The gospel did a deep work in them. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So as we close, I want to give you some, some quick application points to remember. One, if we are going to embody the gospel in order to show up and to speak up for Jesus, we have to remember always that we are beloved and chosen. Despite how you feel, despite how things are going in your life, you are Christ's beloved and chosen. And how do you know that? If you are in Christ, it is because he, he saved you. And prayerfully, you can look at your own life and say, I may not be what I want to be or where I want to be, but I sure as heck, I'm not what I used to be. <laughs> Have you ever just paused to think about how God and where he has brought you to? You are his beloved. You are loved by God. You are cherished by him. You are chosen to remember that we are to imitate our lives around other faithful believers and not influencers. If we're going to embody the gospel and learn to show up and to speak up, it's because we are setting our eyes on people who are living out the faith faithfully, not Instagram influencers, not prosperity gospel preachers, but people whom, by whom which the gospel is flowing through as conduits and who the word of God is what they center their life around. Who are you looking to to imitate? Is it those people? Paul later is going to talk in his book about how we are called to live a, a quiet life. Are we imitating ourselves out of, out of people who aren't necessarily in the limelight, who aren't on stage, who aren't known for being fancy or, or great in the world, but whom God looks at and says, this is a faithful servant. As we set our eyes and imitate people like that, it shapes us and it forms us away from becoming self-centered people to becoming servants of Christ. Third, this text encourages us to speak up, to preach boldly. Paul says this about the church at Thessalonica. Here they are in a city that is anti-Christ, that is full of idols, and they are preaching what the apostles preached in Acts chapter 4. They are preaching the name of Jesus. And even though they are suffering and their friend Jason was beat and taken to court, um, and the whole city knew about the beating that he and others had received, they kept preaching Jesus, just like the apostles. We cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and what we heard. And this is what God is calling us to. 
to show up with gospel presence and gospel chess, but also to speak up. We're called to build bridges with people, but what are bridges for? To send something through. So we want to make sure we're we're sending something across that bridge. And eventually, we have to send the gospel across that bridge. And how do we do that? We do that with confidence because as 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9 says, God spoke to Paul. He says, uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 11, verse 9, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking. Acts 18, 10, excuse me. Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in the city. After he leaves Fest, Paul has been beat up and embarrassed. He goes to the next city in, Cor- in uh, Corinth and, and we can imagine he's a human being that he's suffering in his body and in his mind and he's probably timid, but God comes and he says, listen, I know you just took a butt whooping in the last city, but don't be afraid. Keep speaking my name because I have chosen people in this city to come to faith. And God has chosen people in this city to come to faith. But God has chosen to use us to bring them to faith. So we have to speak up. I want to put up a close with this picture. Um, a graph earlier in First Thessalonians chapter 3, we read about these three virtues. We were calling the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul closes with these words in verse 9, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And I want to show you how this can kind of uh, be brought together and, and we can see the outworking of faith, the outworking of love, and we can see this endurance inspired by hope. If we kind of just fold these verses together, your work of faith, what did their faith produce? It produced them turning to God away from idols. If you are in Christ and abiding in him, you should be able to look at your life and to say, by the grace of God, I've been able to turn away from some idols to God. Your labor of love, verse three, what does labor of love look like? It looks like you are serving the living and true God. A person who has been saved by grace through faith is a person who is being made to look like Jesus, and Jesus was a servant. Your endurance inspired by hope. How does one have hope and endurance? It's because they're learning to wait for his son, verse 10, from heaven. His son who was raised from the dead and who is coming to rescue us from the coming wrath. My prayer for us is that we would be a people who is marked by Jesus' saving grace, who is being formed to be a people of faith, love, and hope, and who people in our city can look at and say, those aren't just words. That is embodied by the way they live and by the way they talk about Jesus. And this all is possible 
because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. All we have to do is to continue to abide and I believe that our faith will ring out because the batteries are included. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.